0: This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Bob Hughes is the guest speaker on this message. Turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is probably, I don't know, it's hard to say this, but it's one of my very favorite books. And the reason it's such a cool book is... uh, It begins with the cosmic perspective. You begin with God's purpose from before creation and the fact that he called a people for himself from before time. And he put them in Christ. And it goes from there into his purpose through his church. And from there, the whole thing breaks down into all of the specific areas of life. It talks about are com- working through conflict. It talks about uh, being church members, leadership, followership in the church. Talks about the family, husbands, wives, kids. It talks about work. It talks about honoring your boss and your boss being careful that better be, you better be careful the way he treats you because he's got a, a master too. Okay? And so Ephesians is a fantastic book. There's no way that we're going to be able to jump through it in lightning speed. But I want to at least hit... The, maybe, this may be not only one of the most important verses in the book of Ephesians, it may be one of the most important verses in the entire scripture. And here, here it is. This is Ephesians chapter one, and we're gonna read verses seven through 10. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, Isn't that an interesting verse? We begin with really just such a critical issue of what it means to be in Christ. There's really only two options in life. We're either in Adam, it means that we are the descendants of Adam, the the rebel, the troublemaker, right? The guy who had it all and walked away from God's authority, walked away from God's blessing, walked away from God's ways, and as a result, sin entered the world. It's the first Adam. We're either in Adam or we're in Christ, the second Adam. And he's the one who, who came. God became man. He entered our world. He lived a perfect holy life. He modeled the beauty and glory of God's nature. And though he had done nothing wrong, he died in our place to become our substitute, to pay the price for our sin so that if we put our trust in what he did, we, we then become in Christ. And in Christ, we're restored to the relationship that God had for Adam before the fall. We're restored to God's purpose. We're restored to favor. We're restored to meaning and hope and identity and all of those amazing things. So uh, the first part there, in Christ is one of the the very most important things that that every one of us need to understand. And then the second part of this verse, it talks about God's plan from before the foundation of the world. And we'll get to that in a second, okay? There's a a famous letter that uh, has affected me. And uh, it's a letter that was written between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson uh, just before their deaths. And in this letter... Uh, Adams wrote to his friend Thomas Jefferson, my friend, you and I have lived in serious times. It's an amazing phrase. You and I have lived in serious times. And thank God that there were serious men like Adams and Jefferson and the other founders who rose up to the overwhelming challenges of their day uh, if they hadn't, the course of, of world history would be totally different. Our lives would be very different than they are today. And uh, Jefferson and Adams, who had been adversaries at times in their lives, uh, became very dear friends in the latter years. And the part of the amazing story is that they both died on the very same day, uh, the 4th of July, 1826, as the United States celebrated its 50th anniversary as a new country. You and I also live in serious times, don't we? Unusually serious times. I think, I think we're realizing in a fresh way what serious times we l- live in. And serious times call for serious people. And great challenges call for our great God to, to stir and develop Great disciples who follow him and do what he 's called him to do for his glory and the good of others, right uh, I, I was born in the mid 50s and uh, you know there 's just so much that 's happened in my lifetime and I, I come out of the Leave it to Beaver and andy Griffith era and things could not have been more idyllic in America when I was a kid, and uh, the judeo christian values permeated everything of life and culture in America in the 50s. And yet in less than, significantly less than a generation, everything has completely flip-flopped. And in the U.S., Christian values are viewed at best as dated and irrelevant, and at worst as bigoted and dangerous. And uh, church attendance continues to drop dramatically. The church's influence in society seems to be uh, near non-existent, and I won't even go into what's going on in other countries, okay? But this all leads to a question that I think is a really good question for us to engage, And, and here it is. Is there something fundamentally wrong with the core message That the the modern day church both models and proclaims that has led us here. I'll ask the question one more time. Is there something fundamentally wrong with the core message of the modern day church and what the church has both modeled and proclaimed that has brought us here? And I would be, I mean, I, I know we all have the tendency to think, you know, the problem's over there, he did it, she did it, they did it. It's these circumstances. God's perspective is pretty clear. He says, if my people, right? We all know that verse Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, I'll heal their land. Okay, now this is not a message about prayer, but the point is that the problem in the country probably begins with the church. And for us to know that is helpful. So to understand the fruit that we're dealing with in our country, it's important that we go to the root, right? And the root of any problem is always theological. It's always, what do you believe about God? And we know the Tozer quote, the... uh, the uh, famous uh, author, that what you think about God is the single most important thing about you. The truth about God, what you believe about Him will inform who you are, how you think, how you engage the world, what you think reality is, what you think needs to be done. It influences everything, okay? So if we want to deal with the fruit, we have to go to the root, which is theological. And so let me ask you, I'm going to ask you one more question. If... If you were to lean over to the person on either side of you or have a cup of coffee with a friend who's a Christian and you were to ask them this question, what do you think their answer would be? Here's the question. What is God's purpose in the world? What is God's purpose in the world? If you were to ask that, I were to ask that with, an average Christian, what do you think the answer would be to that? I want you to just think about it for, for just a second. What's God's purpose in the world? I think most people would say something like this. It may, may not be perfect, but th- his purpose is that, would pe- that people would be rescued from their sin and restored to God through Jesus Christ, right? Right? I mean, I think that's what the answer would be, and that, that's a pretty good answer, but it's only partially true. It's only partially true, and God's overall purpose is, is much greater than that. It's, it's much greater than that, and the implications of the gap between our thinking and God's thinking on this issue has profound ramifications, that I think bring us to times like we live in today. Look with me back at verses 9 and 10 again, and and I'll reread these. It says that Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, God is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite All things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. We're reading. I mean, you wouldn't think uh, that God would have a mission statement, or a uh, a, you know, you think that's just a a modern day business thing. But here we're reading God's purpose or mission statement, and it, it the statement is shows us that God isn't only okay now being saved and rescued from our sin, that's a big deal, okay? So I'm, please know I am not trying to act like that is nothing. I'm not trying to uh, throw us into heresy. This is an adjustment in our perspective and hopefully to help us see things a, a, a little bit clearer, a little larger paradigm here, okay? So he, he, but his purpose is not only to rescue us from our sin, as important as that is, but to unite all things in Christ, Things in heaven and things on earth. Say with me, all things. All things. Say, things in heaven. Things in heaven, right? Things in earth. Things in earth, right? All things. Everything. Everywhere. Is a part of God's purpose. And to have all of it. Touched. And profoundly transformed by the power of the reign of Jesus Christ through His church, and the the, the modern and I, you know I want to be really careful because I, I I became a believer through this gospel. I'm very grateful for the power of the gospel. An imperfectly communicated gospel still has amazing power. Okay, but the modern you know maybe I call it the modern American evangelical gospel. It proclaims a minimalistic story. A minimalistic story that brings with it a minimal cost, right? It's... uh, we could probably go through it, right? It's the message that you hear on TV if you listen to a preacher. or it, uh, It's basically that, uh, and this is the message probably so many of us put our trust in Christ through this. It's that, that God so loved the world, he gave his son, and, and that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish. It's that that God loves you and and has a wonderful plan for your life, right? And that all we need to do is just believe and that we're gonna go to heaven when we die, right? Which is, that's a amaz- that's an amazing story okay but but there is there's more to it and that presentation of the gospel uh as powerful as john three sixteen is and there's more you can get out of john 3 16 than what i what i just shared but but that story uh the story of God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and he wants to take you to heaven where you can be happy with him forever, is it, it's the story of man's worth, because God loves him so much that he's willing to do whatever he can for him. It's, it's, it's rooted in man's need for a happier life. He doesn't have any of the, Americans don't have everything they need yet. There's something that's missing. There's a gap cable. Okay, well, Jesus will provide that for you. And so you can have all your stuff and you can have Jesus too, okay? Uh, so it's, it's man's worth, man's need and God's kind uh, response, okay? It, it's a story that's centered around man. It's a story, it's, it's also a story of a personal versus a public faith. Okay, Jesus becomes my my personal savior. And people may know that, they may not know that. It may not really have a whole lot of effect in anything, but it doesn't need to because this is my ticket that gets me into heaven when I die, right? So whether anybody knows, whether it affects my life, affects my marriage a whole lot, affects my work, affects any of that stuff, I got the ticket, man. It's like we could all sing the song from, uh, come on, the uh, uh, Willy Wonka, right? I got a silver ticket. I'll spare you. I won't, I won't sing it. A golden ticket. There you go. That's even better. Okay. And so, and it emphasizes heaven uh, versus any demands that God would have on his followers here and now. It doesn't, doesn't really address that at all. And you know, I say this jokingly, but if this, if this storyline is accurate, we really need to change our whole approach to water baptism because we should probably, uh, when people get baptized, they can share their testimony, we'll put them down, and then we'll just keep them down, and, the, and then we just send them out because that's, that's what it's all about, right? Because what, what happens if they come back up out of the water? They're just going to wait around with the golden ticket until they die. That could be the number of young people we see come to know the Lord. That's a lot of years of waiting around for heaven, right? What are they going to do? It's boring. Even in America, there isn't enough entertainment to keep everybody happy. So, uh, you know, we think that mission's accomplished, right? They became a believer, and why not? Does God expect more than that? Do we would we think God wants something more than that? Well. Just between you and me, I want to encourage you, as you go through your Gospels next, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, as you go through the book of Acts, look for the modern 20th century American evangelical message. And um, I think you're going to have a hard time finding it. What you'll find is that Jesus did not proclaim a gospel of personal salvation but he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of god the gospel of the kingdom the the good news of a of a reigning king it's a very different message with very different ramifications very different costs associated to it the gospel of the kingdom of God, the reign of God through Jesus Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, everything. He's king. He's Lord. He created it all. He's master of it all. He created you. He's master of you. He deserves our allegiance. He. It, it isn't about us. It's either a A terrifying message or it's the most unbelievable profound message we could ever hear to think that we could come into right standing with the king and uh, to have his favor but it's the story of a king who rules it's a story of a king who reigns over everything and it's how this king the king of all eternity entered space and time to reveal his glory, to declare his rule, and to call whoever would listen, whoever would respond, to call everyone everywhere to repent and believe and submit your life to the king. That's the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus taught his disciples to pray according to this, didn't he? He didn't say, you know, Lord, uh, let... My kingdom come, let my will be done. No, it's, it's Lord, let your, not let your salvation come to some people so that they'll go to heaven. No, it's let your kingdom come. Let your reign come. Let your will be done here in me with mine where I am and in everything that I touch. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your will be done in us on earth as it is in heaven. Wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to go to heaven. Well, no, he's teaching his disciples to pray, let your kingdom come to earth. It's supposed to come to earth? I didn't know that, so I was just supposed to go to heaven. No, it's supposed to come to earth. Wake up call, right? It has ramifications of things in heaven and things on earth. So let me just, this is real simple. And what I'm going to share with you guys tonight is very simple stuff. It is total basics. But you know what the difference between weak, anemic, ineffective believers is and substantive men and women of God who know their God who do exploits, who live for the glory of God, who see what life's about and have ordered their life under the reign of the king. You know what the difference is between those two people? It's what you do. It isn't what you know. It isn't, it isn't, because you're going when to, when I read the things I'm going to tell you tonight, you're going to say, that is just so basic. It's sad. It is. It's so basic. But if we're not doing it, it's, it's not basic. It's it's life and death. It's life and death, and so the things that I'm going to share are very simple, but if they are not a part of the fiber of your life, a part of the fiber of your family, a part of the fiber of your worldview, how the lenses that you look through, um, it's it's really important. It really matters. So give me your ear though it be simple okay here's the storyline of a scripture it's this it's creation fall redemption and restoration The uh, the minimalist storyline begins and ends here, okay. And it's it, it's a great part of the story, okay. The fact that uh, that God rescued us from our sin—that's pretty significant storyline. The Son of God becoming a man, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, ascended, ruling, reigning. Good part of the storyline, okay? So, so don't get me wrong. But, but there's more to the story. And if we're going to understand what's supposed to happen in my life from the time I come back up out of the water until the time that I go to heaven, I need to engage the rest of the story. And I have to understand how it all fits together. Because if I don't, I won't know what to do, okay? Okay. A minimalist story, I, I've, I've tried to find a better word. My temptation was to use the word puny. And that's you know, it's kind of belittling. And so I, what I was going to say, I, I wouldn't want to say it. I'll just say it just between us, okay? I wouldn't want to say it publicly, but puny, a puny gospel produces puny men and women of God, right? Um, so I tried to make it nicer. A minimalist Understanding of the story produces nominal, minimal disciples. But a great story, our understanding of God's great story, produces substantive men and women of God who see where their life fits into the storyline, take their post, and live lives that really matter between coming up out of the water and going to heaven. Okay. We desperately need the bookends. The bookends are are critical. And uh, if I were to encourage you to read just a couple of different sections, uh, I would say if you could read Genesis 1 and 2, I'd encourage you to read it every day for a month. Read it every day for a month. And then the other thing I'd encourage you to read would be Revelation 20 to 22. Read it every day. Read it for a month. And it will absolutely, profoundly transform your paradigm of of what's going on. It's such important stuff. Creation is so important because from right Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God, God, right out of the gates, we're adjusted in our paradigm to understand that this is not a story about me. This is not a God who runs around to serve and adapt to me, though he's so kind, so patient, so loving, it's unbelievable that he forbears with us. But this is the story of God. It's his story. It's his work. And it's so important to understand that. Uh, If we don't know that, we're going to keep walking into walls and wondering why life really isn't about me. It doesn't seem to be working that way. We're going to waste our lives, right? It's the story about God. It's it's the story about his glory. It's the story about who he is. It's about his holiness, his perfections, his eternal power. It's about the beauty of the eternal triune God. That when when we learn who he is... And why he does what he does. It just completely changes our understanding. of. Uh, it means that he didn't create the world because he was lonely or needy. The Father, the Son, the Spirit have dwelt in delight from all eternity. They love one another. They honor one another. They're always dodging the other's honor and compliments. The Godhead is a fountain of joy, a fountain of generosity, a fountain of love and blessing. And God, the reason God created the world is because it's who he is. He can't help but give. He can't help but create. It isn't because he's needy. It's because he's so not focused on himself. His, his identity, his purpose, his life is in others. And when we see that, It changes so much about how how we view things. His beauty. It tells us that he's fundamentally and eternally relational. God is fundamentally and eternally relational. And that should tell us something about the importance of relationships. That God in his core being is relational. Relational. Again, he didn't create the world out of need, but out of his loving kindness and grace. We read Genesis. You know what else we're going to discover? We're going to discover that God himself is a worker. That is profound. I mean, if we were to compare the gospel storyline with any of the historic pagan religions Uh, to see a God who has dirt under his fingernails is unheard of. Many of the stories say that God created people so that he could do all the stuff he didn't want to do, right? He's sitting back and enjoying a cold one and snacks. But he is not, his hands are not in the mud. But the God of creation, the God of the Scripture, is a God with his hands all over his creation. And... uh, It's the story of how God radiates his beauty and wisdom in his creation. And when we understand that, we begin to see God's beauty everywhere. We see his wisdom in everything. We realize that there isn't anything that we have that didn't come out of the ground. I mean, here's a metal microphone stand. That came out of rocks. They heated up the rocks. They got Some kind of ore. Now it's out of my, you know, it's past my pay grade. But that's where it comes from. The guitar strings on there, they come from rocks. The wood on the guitar comes out of trees. The plastic on the back of that thing, there's a plastic back to it. Sorry, man. But I can't, I'm a guitarist. I know the difference, okay? But... (laughs) But the plastic, guess where that came from? It came from oil out of the ground. There isn't anything that you'll ever see or ever touch that is not a product of God's good creation and the resources that he put in there. The only difference is God created the world so that a man and a woman would come into the world and they'd take those resources, they'd reflect God's glory and nature, and they'd take those raw materials and they'd turn them into something fantastic. Something amazing where over the centuries, over the years, as society develops, we live in a world like we live in today in Western civilization as long as we have it. Guys, keep your seatbelts on. Uh, But you have to understand that All that we have, what we enjoy, it all comes out of the ground. And it all has been developed because God's at work in people. He's at work in his his own people. He's at work through common grace, through people who don't even know he exists. But he's doing good to the world. He's doing good to you through people who don't even know your name. And over the centuries, God's blessing, God's goodness, God's heart for his world shows up all over the place. It's a wonder it's beautiful, but if we don't know that it goes back to God's intent, we walk around all day long, and we won't see a single thing. It won't affect us. It won't provoke us. It won't inform our thinking, informing our work, informing our purpose. We've got to see this stuff, or, or uh, we really miss out. So he, God, God displays the radiance of his glory. And first of all, the word glory does not mean uh, God sits back and everybody looks at him. Glory is God's work of giving. His glory is always an others-oriented thing. It is never about himself. So he creates the world and displays his glory. Not that it points to him, though it certainly should point to him, but out of the abundance of his heart, he gives because that's who he is. And then the, the, the... The profound thing happens is he creates man. And he forms mud out of the ground. And he breathes the breath of life into man. He becomes a living being. And he he entrusts stewardship to man to represent him, to be his image bearer, to reflect him, to reflect his ways, to reflect his nature. To reflect His glory, to reflect His others' blessing and delight, His others-centered blessing and delight—it's beautiful, isn't it? It's so wonderful. And He calls this man to do everything He does for the glory of God and for the good of others from the very from the very beginning. And there's so much more to the story. Okay, so we could pray has done wonder, a masterful job earlier this year uh, taking us through Genesis or end of last year. I can't forget, but it's fantastic. So all of that, you can you can take a deep dive in the first four chapters of Genesis by going to the website and benefiting from that. But so I, I'm not going to go much further on this except for to highlight the treasure and the importance of the first bookend to get the whole story right. I want to highlight three Very, very simple things that come out of Genesis. That if we get them, and if they get us, they will serve us in aligning our lives as as an important part of God's great story. If we don't get them, I already said this one so I, maybe I won't say it after this. No, I probably will. I'll say it one more time, probably because I want, I want it to stick. I'd rather irritate you and have you remember than be kind and have you forget. Uh, if we get these and we apply them, we become doers of the word, not just hearers who deceive themselves. People who know a bunch and don't do it. It isn't just a neutral thing. You become deceived. You become snared. You think you're something that you're not. And you are are, uh, in serious trouble. Okay? So here's the three things. Here's the first one. Three essential truths that are critical in aligning our lives with God's great story. Number one. Aligning our lives with God's great story begins with alignment with God Himself. It begins with alignment with God Himself. Is that basic? Have you ever heard that before? You're in church. You should not be surprised. Aligning our lives in the great story means alignment with God Himself. In the beginning, means that we live a life of dependence. In the beginning, God means all the time, God. Not only was God essential in the beginning, he's essential now. There isn't anything that we can do that has any eternal value that if it is not done in faith, in intentional dependence on our Lord, will have any value at all. It's only the things that are done dependent Looking to the Lord, listening to his voice, walking by faith, following. God's not calling any of us to lead anything, anywhere. He's calling us to follow him, right? But we've got to know how that works. Okay? Dependence, if you wanted to write down anything, write this one down. There'll be some others that are equally important, but this one's good. Dependence is the dependence on God is the single greatest life skill. It's the single greatest life skill that there is. All other meaningful life skills flow from that. If you don't have that down, you don't have anything. Because whatever you're doing is going to be wood, hay, stubble at the end. It's all going to fry. It'll have absolutely no meaning. And you'll stand before the Lord with great grief, uh, realizing that, you, that that you missed it you missed it dependence is the single greatest life skill so how do we walk independence very basic stuff we walk independence as we're dependent on God's word, these are the core. core I, just going through the first couple chapters of Genesis, I thought, "What are the? What is the essence? What is the backbone that we have to get and apply here? It's dependence on God's word. God spoke the world into existence. His word is living and active and powerful. God spoke with Adam face to face." amazing. They walked in the cool of the day. They hung together as Adam was naming the animals. They they were friends. God's relational. This relational God calls us into relationship with him. And one of the, the key ways that he does it is through his word. Jesus is the word made flesh. If you want to know Jesus, you need to jump into his word. If you're not in his word... You're not growing in your relationship with Jesus. Don't kid yourself. It's not possible because there is no separating Jesus from his word, his written word. There's no separating. Everything that Jesus is, everything that Jesus believes, everything he wants us to understand is in the scripture. And if we don't take the time to be in there, we're just not going to think with his thoughts. We're not going to see things the same way. He's going to be going one way. We're going to be going another way because we're dumb. And so we need to get into the word, right? God's spoken word must be the foundation of our lives. And so I'm going to be rude because I want you to remember this. Men, if you're not in the word every day, you're, stop it. Stop it. Please, today, today is the Lord's day. Repent. Make a fresh commitment that you're going to set your alarm 15 minutes earlier, 30 minutes. I don't care what you have to do. Turn off the TV at night. Go to bed. Get up. Or read the Word at night. I don't care how you do it. I don't care. But men leading families... You have to be in the word. If you're not in the word, you are not prepared to be a, a significant part in God's big story. You're not. I'm sorry. I, I know that that seems critical. I know we live in a society where it's just not cool. You can't do that. Everybody gets a participation, a little flag, you know, whatever. But please, brothers, please, would you lead? Would you be men of the word? There's a million different ways to do it. You can get your uh, McShane through the Bible thing. Just look up, uh, you know, through the Bible stuff. What do you need? Tell a friend. Call me in the morning. Do whatever you gotta do. Get in the word. Stop making excuses to be in the word. Because if you're not, you don't know God and you're not gonna be prepared for what he has. It's just not gonna happen. Ladies, get in the word. Set your clock early. Give the kids a little, some kind of sauce in the morning. that helps them sleep a little longer. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what means of grace you may have. I know, I know there's hot toddies. Maybe that's a, I don't know, but, but there are means. Use the means that you have. However you have to do it, to get into God's word. Whatever it takes. If you never leave your house until you have gotten into God's word, do it. That's success. You could do all kinds of other stuff. And if you haven't succeeded in the word it's not a good day you're not preparing for the future you're not aligning yourself with god it matters so much it is critical it's essential it it, there's no pass on this okay it doesn't have anything to do with your going to heaven you can we can put you down in the pool we can put you down in the hot tub if you want and send you on but your life is going to be worthless between now and then if you don't become men and women of the word of god Okay, next, our dependence on God is expressed in our dependence on the Holy Spirit. Our dependence on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is real. God is a speaking God. He, uh, he pours his spirit out on his own to refresh, to strengthen, to empower for service. We can know the Holy Spirit but it only, it's not going to happen casually. It just won't. It's going to happen with intentional prayer, and that means finding a quiet place or going for a drive and park, going to a park somewhere and lock the door. And I, I don't, There's a million means. You're going to have to learn how to pray, and you have to make it a priority every day. And then we have to develop the skill of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit because he is speaking all the time his voice is still and it's small but if we'll stop listening to all the other nonsense if we'll stop all the running and gunning and busyness that doesn't matter we can hear his voice and we need to hear his voice because we are in serious times and serious times require serious men and women who know their God who know his word, who know his spirit Uh, we can't save enough gold you can't I mean you just you just think of all of the Sharon and I we laugh about this all the time we're committed to when, when whatever goes down if whatever goes down who knows but I'm, I'm gonna get I want to get shot preaching the gospel in a prison camp that's where I'm going I'm sure not going up to the mountains to kind of store and hoard and think about myself and who's you know Forget it, man. Let's go down strong. Let's go down proclaiming the gospel and living our lives for what matters. And who knows? God may move. God may move. If his people who are called by his name humble themselves, pray, align their lives with him, wow. That those are the the times when very interesting things happen. I'd love to be a part of that. I hope I hope you would too. We're dependent on God's spirit. It's the breath of God that makes us human. It's his breath that turned us from mud into man, man and woman. To stay human, to stay kind, to be, to live for the glory of God and the good of others. We can't do it in our own strength. We're weak, we leak. We have to stay plugged in to God's life source by looking to the Holy Spirit, taking the time to get to know Him, and practicing, intentionally practicing. And not just practicing at church time. I mean, we can do it right now practice being before the Lord. We need to start practicing being before the Lord at work, or when we're changing diapers, or when we go to school, or when we're playing, or when we're playing around a golf. Everything, everywhere, everything in heaven and on earth. Jesus is king over everything: our leisure, our fun, our money, our stuff, our houses, our time. Time is a huge one, guys. We're going to have to change our priorities in time. We're not going to be able to do what you have to do to have the basics down. If you don't do what you have to do to have the basics down, you don't think your kids are going to make it? Who who are we kidding? To think that we don't prioritize God and His Word and developing a relationship with the Spirit. We run and gun, do all kinds of stuff. And maybe stuff we think we're doing for the kids. We think we're doing all of this kind of stuff. If we're not succeeding succeeding in the basics, and I'll finish these up. How are we doing? Time-wise. If we're not succeeding in this stuff, we're not serving anybody. We're not helping anybody. Stop! Stop it! Get your priorities right. Let's be doers of the Word. Okay, uh, we've got to know, learn how to walk with the Holy Spirit. We've got to cultivate a relationship with him. Uh, the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit comes from intentional listening and developing that muscle. It just doesn't happen any other way. Okay, so that's point number one. Alignment, being aligned with God's big story, begins with being rightly aligned with God himself. Okay, and it happens in very simple ways. Being in the word and prayer could throw other elements in there we'll just do, do those real basics right there okay number two, alignment with God's story is all about becoming image bearers in the work that he's called us to do. Being aligned with God's great story is all about being image bearers be, be stepping into our God ordained role as image bearers in everything we do we say work everybody's got different kinds of work depends on the season of life Uh, you may be retired and so your work is is helping your son or daughter-in-law or you're you're volunteering you're serving in some way you may be a young child your work is do what mommy and daddy say it's about picking making your bed and picking up your toys everybody has work to do moms who have the privilege of being at home you your work is caring for kids and showing them the love of god and feeding them the word of god and bringing order and letting the kingdom come in in your home which is a, a you know an eternal job that never that never ends right for those that go to a job uh that's, we, we spend more time in whatever our job is than any other category of life combined. We can put, except for sleep, we can put all of the other categories together and we spend more time in our work, either as a student, a worker, managing our home, whatever. There's all kinds of, of variations on this. We're gonna spend more time there than anywhere else. If we don't learn how to think through the word in that arena, if we don't learn how to pray and walk with God in that arena, you're never gonna learn how to do it anywhere else. That's the big arena. That's the place where we need to engage God. And the Lord created Adam for that specific purpose, to be his image bearer and to represent him in everything he did, whether it was caring for Eve and the kids, or whether it was naming the animals, or whether it was tending the garden, or whatever it was. All of our work is about becoming image bearers for the glory of God. And God has entrusted every one of us, we've all been entrusted with stewardships that we need to see as very important. If our storyline is that I pray a prayer, I get a golden ticket, and I sit back until I go to heaven, all of the stewardships that God has placed right in front of my face, stewardships in people, stewardships in skills and ability, stewardship of time management, stewardship of a city that God's called us to be a part of. They, they go on and on. But if we don't understand that that is a God-entrusted stewardship that he expects us to care for and nurture and develop, uh, we're, gonna, we're really going to miss it. And, and what will happen? And Here's the sad thing. When Christians step out of the responsibilities in society. When Christians just have a mindset that's all about the golden ticket and going to heaven and they're marginal workers, marginally involved in the community, marginal neighbors, marginal friends, marginally committed to the church where there's marginal life, marginal fellowship, guess what? Wickedness comes in and fills the gaps. Wickedness comes in. And the the church that's supposed to be the city set on the hill that's supposed to equip us for all things, things in heaven and things on earth, to prepare us to go into our arenas of life and let our light shine that men might see our good works. If that isn't happening, and we retreat from those environments that God has entrusted to us, wickedness fills the void. And it's a lot harder to... Uh, we've got ground to retake but we'll only retake it if we understand that it's really important and that it brings glory to God and that it's a part of God's big story and not a part of the puny story we're going to shake off the puny story so that we're not puny believers but we're we're embrace God's great story that we can be people for his great glory and and uh, so we've got to engage school students you need to be a good student you need to do your homework you need to You need to engage the relationships around you and love those people and be different and stand for Jesus in your school. And You need to do the same thing at your office. You don't want to be weird? Don't be weird. Be be weird by being excellent. Be great at your job, but don't let your job own you. Don't do it. Leave when you need to leave. Trust God to give you the ability to do your job well and not sacrifice your family and your commitment to the Lord's church, the church of Jesus Christ. Don't do it. Quit the job. Let them fire you. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You can't prioritize the job over everything else and be ready to be a part of the big story. You can't do it. Okay. Uh, We're called to do our work wholeheartedly for the Lord. So it really matters. We can't have an attitude that this isn't eternal. This is just earthly stuff. You know, it's going to fry. No, no, no. We need to do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. And work that is done for the glory of God and the good of others, it transforms us. It's really important because we become sanctified in Christ as we learn to do what we're doing for the glory of God and the good of others. It changes us. It's very important, okay? But also doing work for the glory of God and the good of others changes people around us. We shine. We're a light, the city on a hill. We've got to do our job good. We've got to do it well. We've got to put our head in the game, okay? Um, Okay, we need to work according to God's... Example, now I'm still in the category of work. We hit God, now we're talking about work. And the reason I'm doing it in this order is because this is the way the creation order was. The wifey came in to help Adam do his work. The wife didn't come first. God came first. The work of God, God's eternal purpose came next. The wife came to join the man in their work together. Beautiful, it's wonderful. But it's important to, think, to notice how the storyline uh, goes because we can, have, we, we can make mistakes on that stuff un- unknowingly. Okay, and I'm all for the wifey. Okay, I've got a wonderful wifey. I don't, I'm not trying to, I hope I don't come across in any way belittling our wonderful women. Please, don't let me, I don't mean to if I did. Okay, God calls us to work according to his example. And I need you to listen to me on this one. You're not going to like this. But you're going to love me later. We have to work according to his example. And his example, there are two parts to his example. First of all, God works. God works hard. God works long. God works well. And if we're going to be image bearers, we need to work hard, we need to work long, we need to work well. There are seasons of life, there are times you just got to do it, and that's all right. The, the issue is over the long haul. We've got to be able to see our priorities in the long haul. Seasons, there are certain weeks, you just got to go for it. I understand. Happens to everybody. But if we're going to image God's nature, we have to work hard, okay? The scripture very clearly says, and the creation Order is six days, God works. And he works hard. He does a lot in six days, doesn't he? He orders the world, he fills the world, he sets man up to manage and oversee the world on his behalf. It's a good it's been a good week, okay? But he also stops his labors. And so if we're going to work according to God's example, we have to work hard. And we have to stop. The scripture very clearly says, six days shall you labor, the seventh, you shall not do any work on the seventh day. It's a holy day unto the Lord. Okay, you should do no work. And there's a couple of reasons for it. And I won't go in depth on this, but you can study it. Please study it. If you have a question about it, you think I'm not right. First of all, there's no law anymore we're under grace in christ so there's no law to this but the principle is still pretty wise we'll be able to take a look at what the new testament church lived like pretty wise not not the way we are but uh but six days you work the seventh is a day it's it's a day set apart and it's a day for rest you've been working hard it's a day to sleep in maybe, it's a day to, to enjoy the fruit of your labor, to go out for dinner, to go see a movie, to d- whatever. It, it's, it's a day to be with friends. It's a day to be refreshed. But it isn't only that. It's also a holy day, which means that it's a day that's devoted to reflecting on the previous six and evaluating how everything's going and to take a look at our stewardships, to take a look at the foundations that we're laying in our lives, and to prayerfully anticipate the next six to be led by the Lord. It's, it's the Lord's day to gather as his people. Very important. You can only, we can only gather as a church. It's only going to happen once a week. Got a lot of flexibility. Do all kinds of stuff. But don't forsake the assembling together. This is the habit of some. It's sure the habit of our culture. Our culture, if you make it one week in four, people think that that's normal church commitment today. It's very interesting. We live, we live in a non-committal culture. Guess what? We're not gonna be a part of God's great story and play a key role in that unless we become a committed part of the body of Christ, his bride, the church, the foundation and pillar of the truth, the church he gave his blood for, his redeemed people from before time that he is called to be his representatives to display his glory. This is real important. In one way, we're sitting here, you "And thinking, no big deal. From God's perspective, this is probably the most important thing that's going on in the world is, is gatherings of people like this who are committed to Jesus and committed to one another who walk out the stuff together. Okay, so we, we need to be devoted to work. We need to be devoted to rest. Where am I at here? First, first century church, they devoted, this is Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles teaching the word to fellowship, They devoted themselves to fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayer, to life from house to house with glad and sincere hearts. It's really important. And uh, so if we're going to be image bearers of God, we have to rest on the Lord's holy day with his purposes being accomplished in that time. Okay? Number three, got to be done. Bro, how am I doing here? Where are we at? I need to be done. We are? Okay. Third thing. I'm sorry, everybody. I I just blame it that I don't do this all the time, so I I get a pass. (laughs) Number three, we need to prioritize. This goes right into it. We need to prioritize meaningful relationships. The creation story is all about a triune God who's relational, who creates man in his image, but it isn't fully good. Until he brings a relationship for him. And that's marriage for sure, that's family for sure, but it's much more than that. And as we look at the scriptures, we see commitment in the local church. We've got to be relational people. We can't be like the guys who go and push the garage door and go in and come back out and we don't know anybody. No, it's never going to happen. We're never going to fulfill our responsibility to shine if we don't build relationships. We need to build relationships in our family. We need to prioritize our family. Of course we do. We need to prioritize our church friends. Of course we do. We need to prioritize Prioritize. There's people coming through this door like crazy. If we don't make room for these people in, their heart, in our hearts, three weeks, four weeks, maximum three months, they're gone. They're gone because they're looking for a friend. We, we have to reorder our lives to make room for new friends. We have to. And those that are really comfortable and say, oh man, I've, but I've got my friends. Somebody else will do that. No, nobody else is going to do that. And if you're a leader... Uh, people are going to do what you do as a leader. So we need, we need to be prioritizing time and place in our lives for other people, for relationships, to welcome the people that God wants to love and serve and care for. We need to make time relationship for the, for the people in our work life. We need to get cheeseburgers together. We need to open our homes as a tool to love on people. We need to have friends over and laugh and mix it up with people who are Christians and non-Christians, and actually learn how to be relatable again. Wouldn't that be cool? Without selling out, without any of those other kinds of things. Okay. Creation. There's your three things. The word, knowing God. Number two is knowing, how. We went on from there, I'm sorry. Image bearers in our work. And number three, relationships. Okay, if you just came away for th- three things, there's no way I'm going to get to the other bookend. But all I want to say is it's full of hope. Yes. It's full of hope. And the reason that we need to read and reread Revelation 20, 21, and 22 is because you probably should start with 19, because 19 talks about Babylon falling. Welcome to Western culture. Very interesting. You should read it. But it talks about God's faithfulness to accomplish his purpose, God's faithfulness to hold his people, God's faithfulness to see it through the end, that the kingdoms of this world really do become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he reigns forever and ever. And we're with him face to face. We're with him as a people before his throne. And even the treasures and the the bounty of the nations, the work, the ordinary work that somehow has been done in society, is brought into the new Jerusalem to be a part of the splendor of celebration before the Lord. So even our ordinary jobs, our ordinary work, seems like there's an element that it all ties together, that it really matters. So thank you for your patience with me. I'm sorry to uh, take us long, but can we just close in prayer and ask the Lord to, to rescue us from being a minimal gospel people who have a minimal impact in the world and that we would embrace God's great story and become the substantive people that he's called us to be. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.